From activism to entertainment, health to nightlife, profiles and courage to travel, and so much more. This is the Jeff Hawker Show, LGBTQ news and lifestyle conversation for the Coachella Valley region. Here's Jeff Hawker on Radio 111. Welcome, everybody. We've got a fantastic show today. In our first half hour, we've got Chris Ante, who is probably most well-known for his podcast on iHeartRadio called What About Our Life? Um, But he's also a documentary filmmaker for the upcoming film Chris and Will. And then we've got uh, the, I should say the tagline, The Real Prince Charmings. And then in the second half hour, we've got James Lindquist, who's uh, Director of Development at DAP Health, and he's going to talk all about the Desert AIDS Walk. So, I want to bring to the uh, phone, Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? And I hear you're really upbeat, too. Yes, I try to be. <laughs> <laughs> in this day and age, you have to be, you know? Where are you at right now? Are you in Los Angeles? Uh, no, I am actually in uh, Florida. Oh, wow. Yes, I, I'm at home. We, we live in uh, Celebration, Florida, so we're, we're enjoying a nice, sunny day outside today. Uh, well, it is here, too. You know, we just got over all of our heat wave, and we're now back into the high 80s. We always say in Palm Springs that's a cooling trend. Oh, oh I bet. I bet. <laughs> we. You know what? We, uh, we traveled to Palm Springs for the very first time. We, we drove across country years ago, and um, we drove to Palm Springs, and it was hot. It was so hot that we didn't realize that if you live, leave stuff on the dashboard of your car, it melts. Um, <laughs> yes. So that was our first intriguing experience is we left something. I can't remember what we left on the dashboard. When we got back in the car after a McDonald's visit or something, and it was all melted, it was just like, oh, it must be hot outside. <laughs> yeah, the, well, it could get up to like 140 inside your car. Yeah, Palm Springs is not good on cars. We go through batteries like they're going out of style. Like every two years we have to get new batteries because they just that's, melt <laughs> that's crazy oh my gosh i couldn't so, i couldn't so let's uh, let's take a dive in so um your podcast tell us about your podcast what about our life well it's kind of interesting because when we first started doing it uh we had no clue what a podcast was and we had done work with iHeart before, and we visited a colleague of ours in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, actually, my hometown. And she always loved our stories about our past and our past from everything from opening Disney attractions to the 17 years we actually gave Disney and to working with uh, Universal, the Harry Potter exhibits and, and Hollywood and so and what, so what, forth. What part and, of that did you do as far as the installation? Well, for for Harry Potter, are you asking, or yeah, or, or, in or, or, yeah, or the Disney? Well, generally, it was more so for um, well, for for Potter. I'll give you the the logistics on that one. With Harry Potter here in Orlando, we opened up Diagon Alley, and part of that was we'd work with the operations team and kind of get them in the groove of Potter because Harry Potter requires a certain a certain way for performance from the team that yeah. they have to speak a certain language. They have to act a certain way. Uh, they have a lot of restrictions that they're a lot of do's and don'ts. So we have to train, they have to be trained on what Warner brothers would require for them to be just like 
they were in the movie. So we would do a lot of that. And in particular with Diagon Alley, because the construction was, was taking so long, grand opening day, as they were doing the ribbon cutting outside, we were still putting pictures and lamps and stuff up in Leaky Cauldron. We were still we were still building and uh, they were cutting the ribbon and waiting and the guests were about to come in. So a part of a lot of what we were do, the team would have to come in and kind of help do the smaller touches of the buildings. Um, and then when we opened Potter over at Universal in Hollywood, it was pretty much the same thing. We would go in and we would train the team over there how they're supposed to act in Harry Potter world. Well, so, I, I'm um, a huge yeah. fan of the whole series and the movies. Each one got better than the next. The special effects kept yeah. getting better. And, and there is a certain kind of nuance that you have to understand. Yes, there is. And, you know, J.K. was very much involved uh, in the process, even with us, as well as the construction. I mean, there were certain things that we couldn't that the our team, the team couldn't say. And even when the guests would come into question to ask if they if they were a a student or if they knew um, Harry or any of the other characters in the books, there were particular language that the team actually had to learn. And the we had to one of the tricks of it was is they required that all writing utensils needed to be quills. So, you know, well, it's really hard to find uh, pens that are actual quills nowadays. So we spent a lot of time actually making quills out of regular writing pens and that were satisfied enough for her. And she would come in, The a lot of the designers would come in, and they would, I say, nitpick every little thing that we did to how the credit card machine was set up, to how we told the guests, you know, what, how they can spend their money and answer certain questions. We couldn't really answer questions outside of Harry Potter world. So we had to train them that how do you deal with that when a guest is just adamant about wanting to find out about what's going on in Simpsons yeah. and you're not allowed to say it. So it, it was it was very detailed, but she took a lot of time, very, very involved with it. But she's absolutely a sweetheart. I love her. She's a great woman. She knows her stuff. And, of course, Potter is her baby. So she take, she took great pride in it. Yeah. Well, and you're having so many people come through the theme park that you need to make sure that it's consistent, you know, week after yeah. week after week, too. So training yeah. training in, in the on the front side really makes a difference. It does. It does. And it was kind of unique because we got to work alongside the designers who were also building everything, like I said. So it was easier for us to get input from them and them to get input from us to learn how it's going to work on a day to day basis, because you can you can design everything and put a model on it. But it's you can't really concept how it's going to work on a day to day basis unless you unless you get the input from the people that actually have that experience. So right. it was remarkable that they used that kind of technique to kind of get that interaction to make it make it come become a clean process. So it was we were I was very pr- thrilled with that. That's something I would say the difference between Disney and Universal is Universal does that, whereas Disney does not. Um, you know, and if they do, Disney's very quiet about it and they have a selection with it. Whereas Universal, they use their actual team that's going to be there to help construct and operate the division of the attraction. 
So that would be, if anybody was ever to ask, that would be the biggest difference between the two parts. Well, well, so you're an openly gay man. From what I've heard, Disney has really come a long way. Yes. Oh, yeah. That they're they're yeah. much more accepting than they were before, and now some of the movies actually have gay characters. Yes, I still think that Disney is quite is not kind not quite over the hill over the loop yet on it. Um, I think they're easing their way into it, but I still think they got a little ways to go in a sense. Um, here in Florida, I, and I'm not quite sure about um, California, but here in Florida, when they do the gay pride events, Disney's a very big advocate out here. And, you know, they participate in the uh, in, in the pride events where they have a huge section that they would actually make a little playground or an activity center for the kids and then they would participate in the parade so you know they've been doing that for quite a few years but um there's still a few things that they're not ready to quite say that they're participating in yet but they've they're getting there they're getting there and and yeah yeah i kind of say this about some of my straight friends and it's the same for gay people with straight people as well it's like they want to know about your the gay life, but then don't say anything about what happens behind closed doors. As soon oh, yeah. as you go past that threshold, they're like, eh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, we don't need to know those details. Just kind of leave it be. And, you know, so and it, it's it's interesting because if you've ever come down here for what they call gay days. Um, now, Disney is not an uh, an active participant in that event. But they hold a lot of different events at Disney, which means one of the water parks uh, here at Disney, they close at night and they turn it into a big um, uh, dance party. So it becomes where it's a gay event and the whole water park is open to that special ticketed event. And you go and they have DJs. They, you have a ton of alcohol, of course, not that that matters, but they have entertainers that go in there. And plus you get to experience the entire water park at night which is something a little different that normal guests don't get to experience. Right. So they do do some of that stuff, but they are, there are some stories about that event that if you were ever to talk to a cast member, they would tell you said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick up extra hours for that event because yeah. <laughs> for the after effect of having to clean up. But uh, it's a great event. It's a lot of fun and they do it every year. Of course, they haven't been able to the last few years because of COVID, but yeah. uh, I think they're bringing it back next year. So, so uh, but they do do stuff like that. So how did you get in the podcast business? Your show is called What About Our Life? Yes. Well, uh, like I was saying, said that was when we we had gone to the studio one day and just to visit her because we, we had that kind of a bond with him. And she had said, you should tell your story uh, on a podcast. And again, like I said, we didn't know anything about it. So we started coming up with ideas and brainstorming within 30 days. Uh, the next day she calls back and she goes, look, she goes, we're going to go ahead and set you up for your first air date. And that was in less than 30 days. And I'm like, okay, well, we still don't know what we're supposed to talk about. I mean, we're, we still don't know what we're supposed to do. So I had, being that we were in Hollywood, I had um, said, all right, well, let's try and interview celebrities. We knew a lot of different friends. And so like, let's start with that. So I called all my friends and of course everybody was busy. So I had to reach out to different other 
you know, other celebrities. So we did, and we found one, and and um, lo and behold, uh, we love everything about her. Katie Lee was her first guest we interviewed, and she's a voiceover. She did a lot of uh, Disney work from the old Gummy Bear days to um, Dumbo Circus from the old Disney Channel of the, the 80s and 90s. Um, so she's got a lot of classic stuff, plus a lot of newer stuff. And we brought her on the show. And we thought it was the best thing ever until right before the, the interview started. She goes, oh, so what am I supposed to do? Because I've never done an interview before. And we're like, oh, God, <laughs> this is going to work out really well. So and it did. It eventually did. And we went from the episode air. We went from no followers to immediately went to 8,000 followers. So they were kind of impressed that one episode got us going a little bit. So we kept going. We And we got – so our next episode, we – contacted Alan Gilmore, which again, he was a, um, one of the designers for the Potterlands as well as the films. So we asked him, we said, Hey, look, would you do this as favor? And about that time, Universal was opening Hagrid's ride here in Florida and NBC had been begging him to do an interview and he wouldn't do interviews. And so when I called, he decided, Oh, let's do an interview. So we got that interview and our status just went from 8,000 to immediately 20,000 in just one episode. It wow. was, hey, and it just turned itself from there. Chris, we're going to go into a break, but we're going to find out all about your new uh, documentary that you do. It's based on a true story about the Prince Charmings of podcasting. You and Will, that's your husband, yes. I would assume. Are you married? Yes. Yes. yes Great. Course. We're going to talk all about that. And uh, we're going to find out more about your podcast show, What About Our Life, coming up. You're listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on Radio 111. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. The Jeff Hawker Show, casting a brilliant rainbow of diversity on Radio 111. Now, here's Jeff. We are back with Chris Ante. He is the director of the documentary, Chris and Will, The Real Prince Charmings. So yes. how did you take your podcast and decide, okay, let's do a documentary on this? Because uh, documentaries are tough because usually you're really passionate about it, but it's hard to get funding to do them as well. Well, again, it, it's quite interesting because the podcast started by a friend that uh, we had a connection with, with iHeartRadio, and the documentary was became an idea from fans. Um, a lot of the fans had reached out to us and just, generically asked us questions about more of our life that we really don't go into on the radio show. Um, and so it was like, okay, so a lot of them were looking for assistance. Well, one, because, you know, Will and I have been together for over 20 something years. So the biggest question was, you know, how in the world did you guys stay together for so long? Because in the gay world, that never happens. And so we would go into those explanations, and then we got an offer from a company out in Canada, believe it or not, that wanted to do more of us. And so the idea of either a book, a reality show, or a miniseries, all those ideas played around, but we just didn't want to do that. 
And then we had kind of developed the idea of saying, all right, let's do a, a documentary, but let's do it differently, make it a story and, and use all of our footage that we've had over the years. And so eventually it went from the, the Canadian company had made an offer, which we actually didn't take, but uh, we got an offer from a streaming company that I can't mention right at the moment, but um, they were the one, initial ones that came in and said, here, we're going to make this offer. We'd like to hear more of your story. All kind of transpired from iHeart because iHeart had some say in it as we were getting that offer from Canada and they kind of just, you know, do a traditional Hollywood and took it to somebody else and it kind of went from there. But um, that's pretty much where it started. And believe it or not, it um, the the footage, when we first got into our relationship, something told us that we should document our journey because we did a lot of different things that people normally wouldn't do like we traveled all the time and we took risks and leaped in our car and did different things that we were okay with i guess um and um so we documented it from footage and we pulled all that footage that we had from the old cell phones the flip phones that were the crappiest cameras that you could have and we took footage from that we took footage from drones we took footage that uh from vcr uh tapes that we had we had an old camcorder we revamped that did some footage from that and uh, we also did mock interviews over the years um, just to tell our story a little bit more we'd ask ourselves a question and we'd do a journal or so on uh, you know videotaping it so we took all that film together that made the documentary and you know it came to the point to where the pandemic kind of helped us because the funding that we got from it were was actual money that we invested from the show that we were doing. So the money we were making from the show, uh, we invested that into the documentary because the deal that I wanted from the documentary was I wanted control. I wanted total control. I didn't want executives to tell me how to tell my story. I didn't want any of that. I wanted complete control. So the deal was is that I would I would go and find this funding. They would contribute to a small percentage, but I was responsible for the rest. So that's where we were able to put together this project. We have 13 different versions of the of the actual movie. Um, we we could wow. we could not come up with. Well, it was the <laughs> pandemic's fault. It was really the pandemic's fault because the pandemic pushed everything, and we had too much time on our hands. That you know how it is. You, you say, okay, I can do this better. So you go back and do it better, and that one little thing turns into the whole film. Uh, got revamped. So, so again, so we took that. It was thirteen versions of it. Uh, we chose the music ourselves. So we got we teamed with a company overseas. They gave us a, a library of sixty thousand songs. So we went through every single song to match what we wanted to do. We teamed with another company overseas that found actors to reenact in a silent film type way some of the scenes that we couldn't record or some of the scenes that we couldn't do. That we got that. We did case studies to where we would bring in um, doctors, attorneys, families, uh, individuals, couples, and so forth to come in and watch it to see if they understood it. And basically what we wanted to accomplish is they wanted us to tell our story of all the different things that we've gone through. Um, you know, we suffer with, with uh, mental illness. Willie suffers with mental illness and disowning from being disowned from his parents. But the ironic side of what was his story was his parents disowned him because of who he was, but they wouldn't leave him alone. 
And every every time they got the chance, it was a constant bully to the point to where he literally couldn't breathe anymore, to where he was constantly being thrown into the hospital, to where he would have they would have to calm him down. Uh, they'd have to get him to sleep just to make it just to get him to relax and come to. So the mental abuse was a big topic. And we went through 30 different topics that we had to accomplish the full story. And it so far has been such a huge success that we're even talking Oscars. So All right. our story's coming to life. So we're happy about it. Yeah. The, the website for more information is chrisandwill.com. This is the uh, Chris and Will, the real Prince Charmings. It's based upon their true story. We're going to have to have you back on, and you got of movies course. premiering at AMC theaters in New York, Chicago, Las Vegas, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. So we'll we'll keep in touch, Chris, and uh, yeah. we'll have you back on. You're Thank listening. You. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You're listening to the Jeff Hawker Show on Radio 111. Coming up, we'll have James Lindquist from DAP Health. The Desert Cities A to Z on LGBTQ. This is the Jeff Hawker Show on Radio 111. Welcome back. We have to the microphone now here in the studio, James Lindquist. He is the Director of Development at DAP Health. And we were talking a little bit before the show about how it's really important to kind of set the stage of who you are as, as a person, where do you came from, and how you kind of ended up in Palm Springs. Because most people are not from the Coachella Valley. They have all these bigger lives, and then they come here and, and generally try to reinvent themselves once they get here. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, so uh, I, I came here actually from Portland, Oregon. Um, Love it. Very different weather. What's the donut shop there? Uh, Voodoo Donuts. Vo- oh, I love that <laughs> store. Oh, my God. You cannot even imagine until you've been there. Every kind of donut you can imagine. Yeah, every kind. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, great town. Great city. Um, you know, I got into this, uh, the line of work here uh, because I, I uh, started at an HIV AIDS organization in 2008. Uh, I had found out that I was HIV positive in 2004. And at the time, uh, I was becoming homeless. I lost some of my friends uh, during that time because of other stuff and uh, didn't really know how to connect into the community. And I was fortunate enough to find an HIV AIDS organization that helped with rental assistance, that helped with drug addiction, that helped with all these other services. It's hard to ask for help. It is very hard, especially when it happens to you. It's always easy. It's always easier to offer other people help yeah. and to tell them where to go, compared to saying, "Hey, I need help myself." And I actually ran into quite a lot of the the same things we find people run into today in regards to stigma and isolation and misinformation and, and people's biases against people with living with the disease. Um, in 2008, I started uh, at an organization called Our House that a friend of mine told me about, and it was actually the first time I felt I found my voice uh, in regards to talking about my HIV status. At, at that point, I hadn't talked to anybody about it, and I was with them until about 2016, uh, and I had heard about DAP, which was Desert AIDS Project at the time, and I was thinking of moving down to Palm Springs. I'd visited here. 
thought about retiring. Not in the summer, you probably didn't come down here. I did, and I think that's what is the the lore. I mean, people come here it for is. a week, and they're like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And it's great for seven days, but on day 32 <laughs> at 110. Or, or 115 days over 100. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but it is. There's there's a an embracing and a feeling you get with the heat. Yeah. You know, you just have to learn how to live with it. Well, and it's like I think, I, I tell people, people choose to live here. Nobody is right. like... You know, you have to choose to live in 115 degree weather. I mean, you just have to to welcome and embrace it or we find ways to live around it. Right. And we're so close to L.A. and San Diego. The beaches are only two hours away, Mm -hmm. depending upon traffic. You can head up to the mountains. So, you know, we've got the best of all worlds here, I think. We do. Definitely. Yeah. And then I moved here and I actually I told everybody one day I would be the director of development at DEP Health. Uh, in between that time, I w- worked at the Palm Springs Animal Shelter. I was a director of development there. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then uh, for several years, I was the director of development for Angel View before I came to DAP Health. And so it's a tough job. I mean, you're responsible for bringing in money. What what gives you that passion and gives you that ability to ask for what you need i think it's because i lived it i've lived through what our clients have faced in regards Mm. to isolation and and having to ask for help and not knowing where your health care is going to come from um, and all these other things that i can actually remember what that was like and to be able to ask to note and to help somebody find their voice is my is always what i always tell people is my biggest goal here is that if I can help somebody with getting this the services they need, helping somebody understand what we do, and getting support so that somebody else can get their voice, then that's my job. That's, that's well, what and I, I love. appreciate you sharing your story because I think other people can relate, and they say, "Oh, well, maybe I need help. Maybe I can ask for something." Um, you know, I, I had some health concerns this last summer, and I didn't want to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was kind of shut down about the whole thing. And it, as I tell my story, then I'm able to actually give and take with friends. And I've become closer to friends because then they share stories right. that I didn't know about. Right. And I'm sure as you opened up, people around you kind of expanded their friendship with you as well. Yeah. And I think it's just that we're so fearful of showing that there's imperfections in ourselves at times that you know it's we get scared of how other people are going to react and we're we're finding that's huge right now especially because of covid and the isolation the ptsd type of experiences and and how we're reacting with other people so we've seen you know at dp health that's why we've just uh, reopened our new uh, behavioral health uh, clinic uh, services and expanded them because we've seen over a 30 percent increase in people experiencing this type of thing right and, you know, as HIV and AIDS has no longer become what it was before, where people were concerned that they weren't going to live a month or a year from now, you know, now most everybody lives with HIV and it doesn't define them, you know, and it's not who they are as a person. I'm sure you didn't want to be defined as that. And I'm sure no. most of all your patients don't. And that's no. why it's so important to get the different services the DAP Health Office. And, and I'm so glad you said that because, you know, this is the 40th anniversary, if we can say anniversary, of HIV and AIDS. Right. 
You know, it started out in, the, in 81, and as you said, it was a death sentence at that time. And we've been fortunate enough that throughout the years to expand our services as the need for care has expanded. I have lived with HIV since 2004, and I love what you just said as far as you know, it doesn't define you. That's the biggest thing that, that we need to remember is that it's a disease, it is treatable for the most case, and if you just get on treatment, you know you can become undetectable, which means if you're undetectable, you're not going to transmit it to somebody else. Um, but it's just the fact that, you know, I am now living with a disease that I now have to care about my weight and I have to care about my blood pressure and about, you know, things that originally when AIDS came out, we didn't think about, you know, dying of cancer or high blood pressure or heart attack or all these other things. And those are things now that we're living with and, and we're able to provide the services and say, okay, you are living with the disease now. We're, we're not saying that it's gone away because, in fact, over this last year, because of COVID and that, we saw an increase in new HIV cases. Um, and so we, it is still out there. It has not gone away. When you guys really stepped up, um, with the vaccine, giving yeah. COVID vaccines, because if you have underlying health concerns, mm -hmm. you're more at risk of not only contracting COVID, but also having a more severe case. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's especially important if you are immune compromised to get the vaccinations, um, you know, because they are there to, to protect you. And those of us living with HIV or some other immune compromisation, you know, you need to make sure that you stay on top of these things. And it's not only to protect yourself, but it's to protect other people in the community. Right. And I loved the graphics and stuff that was put together for it, uh, both in Spanish and English. Mm -hmm. And you partnered with some great agencies out here, JFS Desert, yeah. the center and everything to really get the message out that you should be tested for COVID yes. as well as HIV. I mean, it's yes. it's important that you take control of your health. And other STIs. I mean, that's uh, something that we've, you know, a, again, during COVID, what, we were never trained how to live in a pandemic or how to interact with one another. And so for us, that's been one of the reasons that uh, STI testing is free now till the end of the year, because we've seen an increase in that. Because during a pandemic, we only know how to connect through to other people through sex uh, and intimacy. And so we don't want to take that away. Wait, we don't when wanna... does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. We don't tell you want to tell you what to yeah. do. We know that this is how we connect with others. Yeah. Um, but we want to make sure that we're being safe and, and protecting the community. I make light of it just because, you know, I, as an older man, it's like mm -hmm. you don't have it as often. But it is true. I mean, people feel more isolated and they unfortunately in the gay community, um, many more people are on these hookup apps. And Correct. do you guys ever advertise on the hookup apps? We do. Actually, for revivals, uh, we do have apps, uh, uh, ads that are on for, uh, I believe it's Scruff and Grindr. Uh, not that I know about the apps. Um, and uh, it's been very, actually very successful as well as talking about getting tested and stuff. Well, and also you offer prep. We you offer know, prep so and prep. It's a... It's a, a how do you say that? A pre-prophylactic? Pre-exposure prophylactic. Yeah. And then post-exposure prophylactic if you are, feel that you may have been exposed to somebody with HIV. Again, taking control of your health and making sure that you don't infect other people. Exactly. That's really the key mission is making sure the spread stops. Exactly. 
exactly. Yeah, and it's not just, you know, as we've said, you know, HIV is is as our core. That is where we, we started and where we will be until it, it ends. But we have expanded so much during that time. You know, we now offer dental services, behavioral health and mental health and addiction services. Um, we do housing, rental, food. Um, you know, You're about to expand the housing. You're going to break ground pretty soon. So yes, that's December. December, we should be breaking ground in the new uh, 61 units uh, for low-income uh, individuals. And we're so excited about that to have that move forward. Um, and then we'll be looking at expanding the campus so that we can expand our dental services uh, as well as everything else. We're hoping to, you know, looking at how COVID has impacted our community and what has happened for people in their jobs in the last year, you know, they lost their health care. So we saw actually in the last year an increase of over 2,000 new clients that, that came for care. We think that, you know, based on what's going on with COVID, we don't, no one has told us there's going to be an end. So, you know, people are going to still need health care. And, and our goal is within the next year to hopefully serve an additional 5,000 clients. Well, and you just don't know there could be another virus that comes around. You know, I mean, it, everything's cyclical in the period of, of time. You know, you just don't know. Exactly. So being prepared, having regular checkups, all of that is key. Exactly. This is not our first pandemic. I no. mean, if you look at what's happened in the past, you know, we had HIV and AIDS. We had SARS. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have COVID. Um, you know, there's there's no and, and there, there will be another pandemic and we will be there ready for it. So, and, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, you know, God rest her soul, Annette Block, who was so generous. And, God, this woman, it just, like, philanthropy was on the tips of her fingers. It was like everything she could do to embrace people and help them. Um, She passed away this last year. And, um, you know, that helps you guys expand cancer. Yes, she was the first, gave us a million dollars for the cancer center. Um, she also helped us purchase with the uh, the clinic building that's next door to us, which will become the which is the Annette Block uh, Care Care Building, um, which houses all of our medical clinics now. Which which really is helpful. You work a lot with Riverside County and yes. making sure that you're you know in symbiotic with them. Um, so with COVID, we've kind of backed away from doing a lot of events. Right. Um, you guys are starting to ramp that back up again. Correct. Um, of course, you and I have been working together on the Desert AIDS Walk. How long has the Desert AIDS Walk been going on, and why is it important for people to gather for a common cause? So I believe, the first, if I remember correctly, the first Desert AIDS Walk was 1989, so we're looking at 34 years. Well, and we just got our music cue, so we're going to talk more about that when we come back. We're talking with James Lindquist. He is the Director of Development over at DAP Health, and we'll find out more about DAP as well as what you can do to help on the Desert AIDS Walk. You're listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on Radio 111. listening to the jeff hawker show from radio 111 live from palm springs here's jeff 
We're back with James Lindquist. He is the director of development over at DAP Health. We were talking about the AIDS Walk is now 34th annual. What do, do you have any idea what's the longest in the country? Oh my God, I don't. Um, it's you probably know, it's like, like New York or San Francisco. I think probably like Los Angeles or which just had. I think they're doing a virtual one this year, but um, they're one of the largest ones. Chicago, New York. Um, I know we've been doing it now. You know, we've been open since 81 and then we just started. Yeah. So why is it important, especially coming out of COVID to have a gathering where everybody is looking towards a common goal? So great question. And the reason that we called it together again this year is because for the last 19 months, we have been isolated from one another. Um, As soon as COVID hit and we had the shutdowns, you know, pools started closing, gyms started closing. theaters started to close restaurants started to close down so our connection to one another was cut off and so right now you know even with the mandates and everything that are going on we want to have an event where people can come together they can have a commonality support for for a cause they can see each other that they may for some of us this will be the first time you see somebody in 19 months which is crazy Um, But it's also an opportunity to, you know, be in the park on a great weather day, come and see the health and wellness village that is supported by a sponsored by Walgreens, Um, do the walk, see what Palm Springs has to offer. You know, it'll be down Palm Canyon along the art museum area, that type of thing. Um, Yeah, it's socially distanced. I mean, you can wear a mask if you feel uncomfortable being around other people. Is is it required in a city park? According to the Palm Springs mandates any kind of large gathering of people you should, you have to wear a mask okay. and that was of august 5th okay and <clears throat> so you know it, it's what about five thousand people uh i wish <laughs> um it is probably that's uh, our goal this our year. goal is well yeah. we normally see about two thousand i say i you know i in 2019 we had about i would say a little over 12 1300 people um the thing that we have to remember though is that those are people who registered you know, the day of, we have people that will go with you and because they want to be part of the walk or they want to join. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure the numbers are higher than that. Um, our goal is to get as many people as possible to come up to feel safe uh, because that is, of course, our, our first thing is that safety and, and making sure people feel, you know, that they're in a, a safe environment. Some of your great sponsors. Yeah. So our, our, our main sponsor is Desert Care Network. Uh, who is our main sponsor. Then we have Walgreens, who is for our health and wellness village, where you can go and see different businesses. Um, You know, we have Morgan Stanley. We have HR Simplistic. Um, We're going to have uh, a number of different vendors, and I apologize, some have gone off my head. Um, LGBT Center. Well, and we'll talk about some of the media partners. I mean, you know, the TV stations, the, you know, the radio state, Radio 111 is one of the sponsors. K-Gay, Channel Q. I mean, they've all really stepped up. And it's important. NBC, Palm Springs. Yeah. I mean, I know they've been running commercials and stuff on uh, NBC. Um, This is one of those events that people really don't have to think twice. They want to be involved. They want to give money. They want to support all the other teams. If somebody wants to create their own team, what can they do? So a couple ways they can do it. They can either go on our website, which is desertaidswalk.org, and they can sign up from there. They can go to the daphealth.org website and go to events and log in from there. Or, you know, even if they want, they can uh, call me at 760-656-8413 
or email me at jlindquist at daphealth.org and I can help them get signed up. Okay, give that phone number again. 760-656-8413. And if you go to daphealth.org, you know, you can call and ask for James Lindquist and they can connect you. Definitely. You've got an amazing team over at DAP Health led by um, David Brinkman. Yes. Um, Stephen Hankey, Daryl Tucci, um, all great people. They all are so passionate about what they do there. Um, and I've had the pleasure of working with you guys in a variety of different capacities over the years. Um, it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to know that we're helping people where they need it most, their health, their housing, um, you know, making sure that mentally they're, they're astute as well. Um, can you expand a little bit on, on maybe the, the health programs that you're doing so that if, if people are listening and say, you know, I just found I have HIV or I need help and I don't know where to go, what do they do? If they don't know where to go, my suggestion is they connect with their community health department first, and they would be connected with somebody that can get them into care. Um, it's most important first to get yourself into care so that we can get you signed up to be a client, where then you would be able to see a doctor, talk to a case manager, get into our services. Because, you know, like I said before, we don't just provide care for HIV. You know, we do dental, we do mental health and addiction, uh, we do cancer center. Um, we also do gender affirming center care, which a lot of people don't know. Um, we have a large population of people who are transgender in our, our community in the Coachella Valley. Yeah. So we do care for transgender, intersex, and gender device, gender diverse clients. Um, we also have wellness services, and this is, it's kind of like your community health area um, that does like different kind of classes and stuff. You guys are a full health center, and we thank you for all the work that you do, James, and for all of your team. Thank you so much. For more information, go to daphealth.org. The website, again, for the AIDS Walk? Is desertaidswalk.org. And the phone number? Uh, My phone number is 760-656-8413. We'll have you back, and we'll have some of the other team on the show as well. You've been listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on Radio 111. If you want to find out about all the programming, go to Radio111.com.